Welcome to Chacapella, a podcast for the acapella community where we examine the culture as well as the ins and outs of vocal music, along with the people who are working to shape it. I'm one of your hosts, Alicia Edwards, and joining me as always is my good friend, Brian Alexander. Brian, how are you today? I am doing pretty well, Alicia. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited because, I mean, we're here <laughs> recording on a Thursday, but mm-hmm. tomorrow's Friday for us. So I know. That's such like a wonderful feeling. I like I always, not only do I enjoy speaking to our guests and talking acapella, but one of the big parts about doing this show is I know the weekend is just like right there. Right. And, and for our listeners, I'm sorry because it's Tuesday. <laughs> right. Yeah, we should throw that in. <laughs> yeah, it, it's Tuesday for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> Alicia, how are things going with you? They're good. I went hiking for the first time in who knows how long last weekend. and Oh, nice. The hiking part wasn't hard, but by the time I mm-hmm. got up to where we were, I almost passed out because what? there was a bunch of running water and that was mm-hmm. making me a little motion sick, but it didn't help that I hadn't eaten anything yet that day. You know, that might help out if you're doing <laughs> it anything. It would. I tried to eat a cliff Bar and I got two bites in when I was like, I'm going to vomit. Ooh. I didn't, oh, but it was kind of rough. Oh, and I then... Did. We got away from the water and then we, and then I was fine. But yeah, I'm I'm really excited about the guests that we have today. Yeah. Legitimately excited. Not that I'm <laughs> ever not excited about the guests we have on our show, but this what I'm sure we're going to be talking about today is is going to be really helpful and educational for me. So yeah. that's a little bit selfish of me to say, but I mean that's it's, it's, it's true. the truth. <laughs> I was about to say it's the it's the truth, and I couldn't agree more because I feel like everything we're about to discuss is what every group needs to know. Right, right, especially with I mean ICCA changing things as they are coming up here. So joining us today is Matt Zager, founder and CEO of Cut Off Studios. Matt, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you both for having me. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, I'm I've been reading up about you because I mean I know I know Brian. He knows a lot more people in the acapella community than I do, so I have to work probably a little bit more than he does to read up on things before we go into into our shows. And you've done a lot. That's I mean highly <laughs> impressive. So Alicia, if I can interject, you actually we actually both have a connection to Matt even like before today because we do. Yeah, so back in uh, the earlier days of Inversion, we commissioned an arrangement. For one of our for inversion. Wait a minute, which and, inra- which arrangement are we talking about? I'm so curious to see if you can even guess which arrangement. Is. Do you have any idea what that? Arrangement I only was? knew of one arrangement that we commissioned. What What do you think? Which one? I'm was thinking that? of everywhere. No, oh, no, okay. I had a buddy. That, do I one. was going to say that was by Trent. Yes, that was my my friend that did that. But we had another one. Everybody wants to rule the world. Oh, <gasps> that was Matt. That was Matt for us. So, and I always want to bring it back. I mean, I had the solo, so. Oh, oh, that's why, why you wanted to bring it that's, back. No, that's not why I want to bring it back. I just think that song is so fun. Oh, okay. Well, I sorry. I just wanted to throw that in, and I no, think, that's a really fun yeah. fact. There we go. So, so yeah, we we feel it's only appropriate we start off by congratulating you on becoming a brand new parent. How's how's that life going? Well, thank you. It's 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 fantastic. It's exciting and exhausting. All kind of rolled into one big cute little little body but thank you it's it's, it's very exciting <laughs> that, that's like one of the most awesome ways i've ever heard anyone describe that experience you know it's, it's funny because i mean babies have a lot in them that comes out <laughs> <laughs> my my oldest brother just had a baby a few a couple months ago and and she spits up way more than i ever expected a small Ooh. human to <laughs> See that would be yeah right. It's it's, uh, it's definitely a, a an hour by hour learning curve. 
but oh, I believe absolutely that. one if, of the if best things. If I can things. ask, what is, are, wait, first, are you introducing your your new baby to acapella music at all? Is that like the, the nighttime lullabies or anything like that? The plan is to. Uh, we haven't mm. yet. Surprisingly, being such big music people, my wife and I, uh, we never yes. play music on the bump or anything like that. Oh. Um, <laughs> but, you know, our, our, you know, every time we're in the car, every time we're at home or, you know, there's always music going. So it's, it's definitely going to be a, a big part of uh, Charlotte's life. Awesome. Well, I, I am excited to hear that. As am oh. I. I mean, and I mean, I, I'm sure that her musical skills will flourish later in her life. I mean, my, my husband comes from a fairly musical family, but that did not get passed <laughs> down to him <laughs> growing up. So I kind of want to switch gears here just a little bit to talk a little bit more. I mean, we are talking about acapella, obviously, but for our listeners who may be learning about you, Matt, for the very first time, can you tell us about how you got involved in acapella? Yeah, of course. So for me, it started pretty early on. I started in my sophomore year of high school. The University of Rochester Yellow Jackets came to my high school okay. and performed. And while I was in high school, I was actually singing in an all-male acapella group, but it was like more of an acapella choir. Okay. And we, we would meet every Wednesday morning. And so every year we'd host this big acapella event. It was called Men's Night Out. And the U of R Yellow Jackets would come and perform. And that's like really where I, I heard acapella for the first time. That coupled with, I have a younger brother who had ball in the house come and perform at his elementary school. Oh, wow. Uh, and I remember he brought, yeah, he brought two CDs home. And I like literally after that, I was hooked. And <laughs> the, the crazy, the crazy part about all of this is I am like super good friends with all of the guys in Ball in the House, really? Dave, John, they all came to our wedding, actually, which oh, wow. is, is crazy, Dang. too. So big shout out to the Ball in the House guys. That's, I've told them this story like hundreds of times, but uh, <laughs> that's, that's really where my, my passion started with acapella. Wow, that is awesome. So another person who kind of got their start in high school and, you know, discovered a group. And man, I, I love these stories. We enjoy when our listeners come on. And, you know, oftentimes we get people who, you know, just randomly stumbled upon and here you had your your brother's CD and this is great. <laughs> yeah. So with that, I'm curious. So now you're at Cutoff Studios and, and I'm curious because you had the experience in high school and we know that you found it two groups during your time in college, Vocal Infusion, and then also in a female group called The Sirens, now known as uh, Key of She, I believe. And so yep. eventually you made your way through those groups and then you arrived at Cutoff Studios. And I'm curious, during your time and your experiences with the high school groups, the collegiate groups, you know, we hear about everyone's different coming of age stories as it relates to starting a, a studio, you know, whether it be, yeah, I got my start in a bedroom closet, college dorm, or just, you know, I was in a studio with a friend and they taught me things. I am so curious. What's the story behind Cutoff Studios? How did that begin? Yeah, sure. So Cutoff Studios actually was preceded by a professional group called Cutoff. We were a post-collegiate group uh, ranging anywhere from like, I think at one point there were 12 of us and then we got down to six and just, you know, as most post-collegiate groups go, the life cycle for people changes, you know, on a, a, a monthly seemingly basis. Uh, so we had people kind of come and go throughout the five years that the group was together. And really where this idea for putting together a studio 
stemmed from our recording project with Liquid Fifth. Oh, wow. uh, we had gone down to to Raleigh and we recorded an EP with Liquid Fifth, and we all attended So Jam. It was an absolutely crazy idea to drive down on a Thursday night, record the first half of our EP on Friday, go to SoJam on Friday night, Saturday, and then finish recording our EP on Sunday and then drive home back to Rochester. That sounds intense. Um, I mean, it sounds, but, you know, it sounds intense, but it also sounds like a lot of fun. Oh my gosh. I mean, to be like, whatever, 25 again, I would like kill for that right now. Because um, I'm pretty sure I got less sleep then than I am now. And somehow I was able to do all of those things. Anyway, so the idea of the studio really, it stemmed from uh, recording. And my one of my best friends, his name is Nick Hunter. He co-founded the studio with me. We were like, hey, this is really cool. And this is something I think that we would you know, be good at, but also really be passionate about. So Nick was more of the gearhead. He was more of the production side. I was more of the networking kind of client facing person that would try to get projects. So that that's really where where it started. We started with the two of us, and now we actually have a team of I think about twenty two or twenty three people, which is insane. Very cool. And I that think is- we actually had your vice president of production on our show a few episodes back, Kyle Howard. Yeah, Kyle is, he's great. (laughs) Awesome, awesome, very good. I'm curious, in those early days of just kind of getting your studio off the ground, what's it like trying to get buy-in with groups? Because I I know the acapella world, it functions a little bit differently at times than, you know, your your standard, you know, the music scene, you know, pop, you know, top 40, everyone out there. What's it like trying to get groups to buy into what you all are selling as a studio? I mean, it's tough. Being the new kid on the block, you're doing a lot for free. You're trying to get as much experience as you can. And interestingly enough, I... I will say that we don't do stuff for free anymore, but we're (laughs) still in that. (laughs) Yeah, we've grown. Good, very good. It's crazy because we still feel like we're learning. And I actually now can say, you know, six years later, say that as a, that's like a part of our culture now. Mm -hmm. We're always wanting to learn more. We want to get better. We don't want to ever become stagnant in, in our craft. And as you know, I mean, acapella literally changes on like a day-to-day basis. So we want to make sure that we're staying, you know, staying up on what is going to be most effective and most helpful to our to our clients. Awesome. I, I, I love that you're saying that because I feel like that would be the case for any company where you don't you don't want to become stagnant because I mean when you do that's pretty much the same as declining and then you end up losing your valuable people because if they're not feeling fulfilled where they're at they're going to find a place where they can feel that so I, I think that's awesome with, as part of your culture so can you tell us as the president and CEO of Cutoff Studios what does your day-to-day routine look like generally so it's today it looks so much different than it did you know, six years ago. Like I said, you know, we there's a team of, I think, 22 people that I get to work with. And I, I think one of the big things that makes us different, and I, I want to kind of get this just out of the way, is we all work separate full-time jobs outside oh, okay. of the studio. We refer to the studio as our passion project. And I think it really kind of separates us from other companies that are doing similar things, because this is really something that when we come to work, for or do work for the studio that's because we want to it's it's we're not you know trying to get projects because we need to pay our bills that kind of stuff this really is is purely because we love doing what we're doing so 
you know, just to kind of get back to your question, my, my day-to-day now is a lot of communication with our leadership team. I have a senior leadership team, and then we have kind of a, a, a bigger uh, team that includes some directors that oversee specific programs. So a lot of just talking about what's, what we're working on, what we want to accomplish big picture-wise, but also, you know, like, what do we want to accomplish this fall? It's obviously no surprise that things are going to be very different with COVID, with the ICCA and Varsity Vocals changing their competition. So again, you know, it's it's always thinking ahead. It's trying to be strategic in what we're offering because at the end of the day, we, we are doing it because we love it and we want to have people have those same types of experiences that we all have in their groups now. I think that That's such a testament to what you were mentioning earlier about not being stagnant and being in the same place as being able to offer more than just what people might think a regular studio would offer. And I think that's what's vital. And we're seeing so much more of when we see all these different production companies and teams come out They're they're having to do more. And I think there's so much opportunity to do more. And I know for cutoff, you all, especially you do a lot of education as you're talking about, which I think is vital to the collegiate space. Collegiate members are already in this space of learning and developing themselves. And it's great that you all can offer not only music services, but educational services. And I know that you have a program called Lens. And I was curious if you can just talk to us a little bit about that program and how that idea was conceived. Yeah, of course. So Lens stands for Learn, Envision, Network, and Sing. And this idea really came out of, you know, the big the big festivals. So the, the bosses, the sojams, the laughs, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera, sing strong. And the thing that we saw was they are all very regionalized. And college groups notoriously just don't get money, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so we were like, well, hey, we, I, I love going to Boss. I love going to SoJam. The experiences literally will, I, I will remember them for my entire life. But we wanted to make sure that there was education available to groups that maybe can't either afford to travel or just can't afford to to pay for that big experience. So essentially what we did is we created an event that has uh, a variety of workshops for groups to attend. And then each of our participating groups get at least two master classes with, you know, one-on-one with one of our team members. We have a big piece of networking. We try to have all of these groups interact with each other. We break them up. We, we divide them. We get them talking to different people. And then at the end of the day, we have everybody come together and they perform for each other. And by far, my favorite part of the entire event is, is these performances. I'm not too embarrassed to say that the only time I've ever cried at an acapella performance was at one of our Lens events with a group that performs a song. So it's incredibly impactful, not only for our team, but also for for the participants, the groups that come. Wow. Wow, that is amazing and incredible at the same time. With that program, is there? do you all set the curriculum or do groups come to you and say, hey, this is area that we would like for you all to particularly work with us on? Or how does that whole process work? Yeah, so at the end of the day, we are here to serve serve the groups. So a lot of what we do with our Lens events in terms of, of curriculum is we have groups sign up. 
specifically, we try to target a, a region. So we've had we've held a, a handful of these events in the D.C. Virginia area. We've done one up here in Rochester. And once the groups sign up, we reach out and say, "What are the types of classes or topics that you want to discuss?" And then they kind of provide some feedback to us. And we really build the day and the classes around what these groups want to learn. And you know, again, so it sounds like I, it's I a little really, bit more collaborative. Yes, okay, I, everything that we do is collaborative, which is you know, it, it's great, but it also slows things down from time to time. But that's okay. <laughs> and and so yeah, you, you know, we we really strive to make sure that we're hitting the topics that are, are going to be meaningful to these groups. The master classes too are, are critical to this day. You know, anytime you have a professional come in and work with your group one-on-one, that's where I think a lot of the transformation happens for these groups. I remember being in groups and getting master class and being like, oh my gosh, like, yes, of course. And so just having, getting that outside perspective is huge. So how do you envision Lens working in a COVID era? because I know that there are so many changes happening. And we've spoken with a a few of our previous guests. I've mentioned everyone's changing everything that they had plans for. Does Lens lends itself to working during COVID? Lens is going to work virtually to some extent. We so strongly believe in what Lens is in person that we realize we will never be able to replicate that in a virtual setting. So our hope is, you know, once COVID goes away, uh, we will be right back to holding our in-person events. But our events team overseen and led by Allie uh, Jackie Beck is already working on a virtual lens event and actually going to be rolling out some information on that here in the next, I think, couple of days. Nice. So very excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be on the lookout for that information. That sounds great. I'm a big fan of people being able to learn various things, whether it's through master classes or, I mean, going to university to learn about stuff. But one thing that I really like about your company is that you guys provide internships. So, I mean, internships with acapella production companies have been on the rise lately, and I think that's just really fascinating. Can you tell us a little bit about what the internship program with Cutoff Studios looks like and what you feel are the most important takeaways your interns learn from your programs? Yeah, I mean, our internship started with me. And again, this is just kind of more about how I think about the company itself. Uh, Found somebody that could run the internship program way better than I could ever do that. And that's Rachel Hamelman. And she also is now our our chief of staff for the studio. But what Rachel has done is she has designed a semester-based internship program that is just incredible. Our students get to do production. They can do events, communications. We have an administrative track that we just launched. And then we also have an operations track. And the production obviously is going to be the the most popular. And this past summer, we just had our first summer production only internship program. And we took three fantastic students and they, from start to finish, recorded a project. And by the end of the 10 weeks, had a fully produced track. And that was, again, overseen by Kyle, who you guys know right, very right. well now. Um, <laughs> and, and you know, it, it takes a village because Rachel oversees the internship program itself. But then, you know, for production, Kyle's overseeing all of them. And then for the administrative track, Rachel and I oversee them. So, again, it's it takes all of us to, to make it work. But hopefully we're giving these students just some real life experiences. And and we always say, you know, these are, you're going to learn skills, hopefully, that 
translate way outside of acapella, whether that's just communicating with a team, you know, learning how to effectively communicate with another intern or somebody that's on our our team, or you're learning some hard skills like how to use Melodyne or how to use Pro Tools, you know, or how to plan an event. So we're very proud of our internship program. It's grown. We had, I think, somewhere in the region of 20 applicants for this fall. And it's just pretty amazing. The the growth that we've seen over these last, just really like last year has been really fun. Based on your conversations with your, your interns, do you get a feel that most of them are heading in a, a direction to work in the music industry? Or do you ever feel like some of them, it's going to be like a hobby? Because I know for a lot of us, acapella ends up being a hobby more than anything after college. But are, with your interns, is it that most of them are working towards a career in music? I think production, I would say that for the production interns, I see the most tangible connection to something in a professional setting, if that makes sense. Those are some pretty tangible skills that can be used. You know, if you're learning how to use Melodyne and Pro Tools, you don't have to just do acapella. But again, because acapella is such a tight-knit community and and kind of a, a niche market, a lot of our production interns, I think, have hopes to continue to do work in acapella. Awesome. Wow, that sounds great. And man, that sounds like a wonderful internship program. And I really hope so many people like really check out Cutoff Studios internship program. I mean, I wish I was kind of still in school. (laughs) I'm thinking of like signing back up for some undergrad. Well, you're technically in school, right? (laughs) I I am in school, but I don't know. know, Are grad (laughs) students allowed to be an intern? Is that acceptable? I don't know. You know, Brian, we will make an exception. (laughs) If you want to come hang out, you know, we'll we'll make an exception. All I can say, you heard it here first. Be on the lookout for a spring application from Brian. All right. And on that note, we unfortunately do have to take a quick commercial break, but we're going to come right back and continue speaking with Matt Zager right here on Talkapella. You may not know this, but Acaville is a nonprofit. We're a community supported organization. And the way we keep our lights on and keep the music spinning is largely through memberships and contributions. So I encourage you to be a member of Acaville. Not only will you support everything that we're doing and supporting the community and bringing great music and features to you, but there are some pretty killer member benefits out there as well. Head on over to Acaville.org. Check out the member benefits because we'd love to have you as a member of the Acaville community. And welcome back to Talkapella. We are here with Matt Zager of Cutoff Studios. And I mean, it's just been a pleasure. And I I sincerely mean that because as I said earlier, if you were with us, it's a little bit selfish of me because I was really looking forward to everything that I thought we would talk about and those expectations have been met. And I'm sure we'll just chat a little bit more about that um, on this episode. So we've been talking a lot about the production side of things. So Matt, I'm curious, can you tell us for someone just getting started on the recording side of acapella, what in your opinion is a realistic time frame for them to be able to fully grasp the basics of what needs to go into that? I mean, for me, it, I'm still learning. I'll be the first to say that I'm definitely not an expert in, in production, pro, like in doing production projects. I've had my fair share of Melodyne, but never gotten into the mixing. I think if you want to be good and you want to be serious about being a producer in acapella, you have to continue to listen and learn as much as you can. 
I think, you know, so Kyle, Kyle's a great example. I, I use him a lot. He joined the studio as an arranger and about six to eight months in, he's like, I'd really like to learn how to do production. And he taught himself how to produce wow. acapella and is now, and now oversees our entire production I was going to say, team. now he's... Yeah. That's awesome. So, you know, I mean, I think there's like some just basic skills that you can learn. And, you know, depending on how aggressive you want to be, you know, six months to a year, I'm sure you could probably have a pretty good grasp on it. But the needs of of these groups are changing so much. You know, you have groups that like that really polished, just vocal sound, right? Mm -hmm. So they're like, we love our sound. And that's what we want to capture. And that so that's one end of the spectrum. And then you have the other like, more electronic spectrum with effects and distortion and all sorts of crazy things that I don't even really understand that sound awesome. (laughs) And so you have such like a wide range of, of expectations and wants and needs from these groups. I think it's kind of hard to give a a finite timeline for, for what you want to learn just to be a good, you know, acapella producer these days. Do you feel that when groups come to like, to cut off and they're like, hey, we want to start a new project. We want to record a new track or a single. Do you feel that their expectations are generally reasonable? Because I, I know when we were looking at recording our first album in my collegiate group, we met with a few a few various producers and we showed them tracks. And we're like, oh, man, we want to sound like this. And some of them were just like, you know, that's a lot of work that goes into sounding <laughs> like that. We just can't just work magic, but we can try kind of thing. And I'm just so curious, you know, if the people that come to you were just... Just like me back in the day, did we are we reasonable in what we're hoping to get out of the process? I think it's an education process. I think there are expectations and ideas that groups have, and depending on where they are in terms of experience, they can be obtained. From our perspective, it's our job to really educate our clients on what to expect when they're going to come do a recording project with us. There are just so many little nitpicky things that will elevate a group's recording tenfold that groups probably aren't even thinking about. You know, it's dynamics, it's cutting off, it's it's consonants all at the same time. It's all of these little things. And yes, there there's a lot that can be done in post-production, but the less that the producers are doing in post, the better your end result is going to be. I, I joke that they're like magicians and wizards, right? The, the the producers. But at the end of the day, they're really not. They can do. They can only do so much. And so, really, it's our job to educate any. I mean, anybody. But you know, potential clients on what to expect when you walk into that room and you're standing there and you're listening to a MIDI, right? You're not even listening to other voices necessarily to try to dig deep and find that same emotion that they're getting when they're performing on stage. Yeah, and I feel like so. what ends up happening is, and I feel like, producers and the people that work in these studios they really are the they're like that extra an extension basically of a group they end up becoming a coach because what i remember from the recording process is while we were there and you know we had our music learned and stuff we were taking so much direction from the people in the studio on you know this is what i need from you guys and that's what i think a lot of the process is and one of the most important things i think i 
to this day, I can't even remember where I heard it from, but one of the things you can absolutely not fake when you go into the studio is one of the things you mentioned, you mentioned dynamics and you can't fake energy at all when you go into, that's not something that could just, you know, flip a switch. You can feel on a track and you can hear if a group is passionate about what they're doing. So I think there are so many little things that you're talking about that I don't know if everyone's really aware of. Right. I think to, to be honest, I think recording is actually, it's a learned skill. Because it is so different than anything else that an average typical acapella group would do throughout a semester. Performing at your fall show or, you know, singing on an ICCA stage is night and day different than standing in front of a microphone with one other person sitting behind a computer. To get into that headspace, to find that energy, to, to sing those dynamics, you really have to, to work at it. It's something that even now that I struggle with when I go into to record or something. So yeah, it's, I think for us, that is the biggest piece is just kind of conveying that. And, and you know, we can only convey it so much. It's one of those things that you don't really understand until you're doing it. Right. I, I absolutely agree with that. And I feel like from the performer's perspective, it takes a lot of discipline to get that perfect recording. It's probably not going to happen on the first, second, or, or tenth try. Just kind of depending on the nature of the song and playing back what you're recording and, and knowing that that's what you're going to be working with. I, I like to say you can't get diamond from crap. So exactly. I really appreciated what you were saying where when people say, oh, here's what we want to sound like, or there's a lot of different details and nuances that go into getting that production to that end result. Exactly. And as an arranger, as you alluded to at the beginning of the show, I think a lot of what it comes down to as well is the arrangement. Sometimes your live arrangement of, you know, whatever is not necessarily going to translate the way that you think it's going to once it's recorded in a studio. So there's just, you know, there's so many things to think about. And I, I sit here and I, you know, get, you know, t get to talk with you about this. And, you know, there's still things that I'm learning about this. So I, I don't want to say that I know everything, but just being the person behind the microphone numerous times and also learning from our production team there's just there's so many little things that will just take your average recording to a great recording yeah i'm curious what's your favorite part about working and i guess owning and working in a recording studio my favorite part is the people that i get to work with the team that we have assembled i have not had another group of people that have ever worked so well together and it's been truly an amazing experience because we are, so we're spread out across the country. We have people in Boston and DC and I'm in Rochester, New York. We have people in Kansas City. We have people, three people that are in Canada. And so we're spread out all across the, the East Coast and into the Midwest. And something magic happens when you get all of these people together. We've had uh, we've had some retreats, so we, we try to get the whole team together at least once a year. COVID is definitely putting a big damper on that right now. But uh, <laughs> You don't say. Damn you, COVID. Yeah, but when we come together, we've done some, we've been able to sing together. And it is it just one of those most most remarkable things. It just, it clicks. And it's not just musicality, it's personalities, it's it's friendships. So that, to me, is the biggest joy that I get out of being a part of this studio. Wow. 
That's awesome. So we've talked about recording in the studio and some challenges that come and managing those expectations of those groups that you've worked with. So can you tell us, Matt, what are some preconceived notions about working with a recording studio that groups typically come to you with that you can set the record straight on? I think the biggest one that we've come across is that it's more expensive than people think. I say that kind of with an asterisk because as I kind of alluded to, when we were starting out, we were doing a lot of work to, for experience or for cheaper rates. Now, you know, having had a fair amount of experience and having Kyle specifically overseeing production, you know, we're, we are able to, to charge what we feel is a reasonable rate. We're not in this to make money per se. We're not in this to get rich. We're, uh, and again, we're not in it to make our, our living solely on the work that we're doing for the studio. But there is so much time that's involved with editing and, and mixing these tracks. And, you know, we have come, we've had groups say we have, you know, $250 to record a single. Is, you know, is that going to work? And we're like, well, we can like come and record your group for that. <laughs> um, and I don't mean that as like a, a slant or anything to right. any group that thinks that. And trust me, I get funding for groups. It's tough. But it, I guess the one thing I'd like to share with the masses is it, there is an expense to recording. And it varies from studio to studio. And... I think it's just important for these groups, again, I'm sorry to keep harping on this, like, educate side of things, but it's important for groups to educate themselves on what the time and what the cost is when you're looking to record a, either a single or a full. Well, and I mean, the, the bottom line is, and not just with acapella, but with everything, you get what you pay for. Yeah, exactly. And no, I was just going to say that I, I think that's a valuable point because as you mentioned, so many groups have limited funding or a lot, a lot of cases, no funding whatsoever. And you know, cost is one of those things with any type of business. They're going to try and a lot of places try to keep those things hidden a little bit. So it's uh, it's really important for groups to go out there and really ask those questions. And as you're saying, get an understanding of what's going to be possible with what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. And I think there are groups that come and they they think that stepping into a recording studio, they're going to get, for lack of a better example, they're going to get a, nor a nor'easter's single when, when that's just not the group that they are. And I'm not talking about talent. I'm just talking about like the, the nor'easter's, from what I know, they take it so seriously. It's like a major for the people that are in that group in college. And that's different than your, your group uh, or another group that comes together, you know, twice a week for an hour. Right. And so, again, it, it's kind of setting expectations. It's it's educating the groups on what they can expect. But also, if that's if that's what they want their final product to be like, then this is the work that you need to put in. We worked with a group down in, uh, in Virginia and the members of their group would go and work at an amusement park throughout the summer and they would all kind of take turns doing this. And the money that they made from that summer job, like once or twice a summer, I guess, they would put that money into the group. That's amazing. And so like each member of the group was like working to, to put money into the group's funds so they could do things, right? Whether it's travel or 
right. competes or record, right? And so that's like that's like another level expectations for a group. So you know, again, it's it's all about expectations and just kind of having an understanding of what what that all means. That is a level of commitment I don't think I've I've heard yeah. of. To be right, honest. right, me either. Like I've been with many groups, and <laughs> well, I can say it's definitely the minority that people are willing to go to that extent to you know to be committed right. to the group. Well, and I feel like yeah. We... I, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, you know, we get asked a lot about fundraising. I'm like, well, how do we make money? Like, well, you have a bunch of different options. You can ask for money, you can earn money, or you know, you can just get money I don't, I don't know <laughs> but it doesn't it doesn't just happen right. you know you, there is a level of, of work and commitment that you have to earn earn these opportunities well and I we've addressed cost and how you get what you pay for but I think a lot of the times when we talk about cost and, and take that into consideration we're thinking monetary all the time but I mean you've even talked about how in the early days, you guys were doing stuff for free to get the experience. And I think that time is a really valuable way to measure your cost as well. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Uh, 100%. Yeah. So so with, we got a little bit of time here. I wonder if we can switch gears just a little bit, because as Alicia mentioned earlier on, you are a man of many talents. And one of your yes. talents, you have experience as a clinician. And I, I'm very curious about that role. And based off your experience, are there any major differences between working with like an all vocal ensemble versus like your more traditional choir? Because I I haven't had the pleasure of working with clinicians that much. And I'm just so fascinated by the work that they do. Is there anything that you can shed light in that regard? Yeah, of course. So my undergrad degree was in music education. It was instrumental. I was a trumpet major. So I kind of have a little bit of, I guess, more of the classical background, if you will. The thing for me that has always separated acapella from traditional classical music is the opportunity to kind of break all of the rules, right? So, you know, in, a, in arranging, you have like no parallel fifths, no parallel octaves, you can't jump tritones, you can't, you know, you shouldn't be singing minor sevens, all these like stupid, stupid rules, right? <laughs> and like acapella comes in and they just kind of like shatter that. Yeah. And I and I love it. So so getting to work with with acapella groups and helping them understand that they don't this is not a choir. This is not your this is not a, a college chorale. We don't need to be singing with quote unquote correct vowels. You you know, it's okay to like make different sounds it's so much fun to kind of try to break that idea of it has to be perfect down with that said matching vowels within a group is like one of the most important things if you're gonna all sing an ooh or an ah like please like all yes. try to be uniform <laughs> thank in that. you for saying that yes you know, coming in and working on, I don't, gosh, I don't know, just a, a pop song, right? You can try to mimic a guitar. You can sing things. I mean, even vocal percussion is like, that is not within the realms of your like concert choir. So it's been a lot of fun because what I, I do see is a lot of people that maybe haven't had acapella experience prior to college. All of their background is in more classical, more organized music. And so trying to get them to like break out of this whole idea of everything has to be perfect or pretty is fun. It's fun to expose them to thinking outside of the box and being able to work with groups. You know, we have been very fortunate to have some really strong relationships with 
a handful of groups that we've been able to work with over, you know, two, three, five years. And kind of seeing that growth and seeing their success, whether it's recording or ICCA or whatever, is by far like the most rewarding part of what we do. Yeah. And Matt, that just made me think of something. And I, I love the the fact that you're bringing up, you know, breaking the rules and acapella does that so well because, yes, they definitely do that. And I'm curious because... A lot of times, as you just mentioned, a lot of people's acapella experience, their, at least their, their first experiences in the collegiate space. And I'm wondering, for you personally, do you see it in terms of being a clinician? Do you see it as more of a benefit or a hindrance that people, you know, have acapella experience prior to college? Or does it even matter if they, you know, that they, that, that they come in with any kind of experience whatsoever? I mean, how lucky are these people in high school and college now to have had, you know, camp acapella, pitch perfect, all of these opportunities <laughs> that they get to go and be a part of when they're in high school. And like, I would have killed to do a week long camp just an acapella when I was in high school, like that would have been the coolest thing ever, yes. the acapella academy. So I think for acapella as a whole, it is so great to see students having exposure to it from middle school all the way to like 80 right so, uh there is there is just so much that we can learn and i mean even barbershop right yeah like there are so many things that you can take away from barbershop that relate back to what we're doing in contemporary acapella so yeah i mean honestly it's i think the more experience the better i think we've seen that just in terms of like the collegiate groups are getting stronger, they're getting better because they're having, so the students that are in these groups now are having had experience in middle school and in high school. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that it bodes well. And like, I agree with you. I'm like, I wish I had some kind of, you know, acapella organization long before I ever got to college. But like I said, those were the times and hopefully, you know, it just keeps growing the way that it does. I mean, my acapella experience was very unique in that I had one year of collegiate acapella and I was a second year grad student. I don't want to say I wish I had that experience in high school because, I mean, in high school, I was a huge band geek. And so choir was not my thing. I could sing and I, I knew how to sing and I sang decently. But I do wish that I had more exposure to acapella while I was in college. So like maybe my first year of grad school or during my undergrad, because I think that that would have made my experience very different than it was. I completely agree. I, I mean, I lucked out. I was able to be really good friends with two members of the Yellow Jackets when I was in high school, and they really helped me. But we had, I had gotten seven other friends of mine together in high school, and we, we start, that's like was the first acapella group that I was in was in high school. Um, and there are eight of us. And it, if it wasn't for like kind of not intervention, but like the help that I received from these two guys in the Support. yellow jackets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't have, it's not to say I wouldn't have kept doing it, but I, I think it could have been a very different experience. Right. You know, just right. having somebody to offer advice and help is, is just so great. And, At and least I, I, think I do want to clarify, I didn't have a negative experience in my collegiate acapella in my group, but 
I think that I would it would have helped me develop so much more as a performer and as a person mm-hmm. had I had that experience in my earlier college days. Yeah, I agree. This because for me there there was so much developmental things happening during my time in college collegiate acapella right. that man, I would have been like I said, I wish I would have had all of that prior to that, but it was great to to get it when I did it for sure. I completely agree with that, but I can't say that because <laughs> I, I don't have that I don't have a parallel experience to that. But I can imagine that I, I hope I can imagine how positive your experience was. Um, and with that, it is unfortunately time for us to take another commercial break. But don't go anywhere because we will be right back on Tacapella. Are you an aspiring sound engineer? Have we got a show for you? The Headroom Podcast is a podcast for aspiring sound engineers in the contemporary acapella genre. Join Kyle Howard and Ricky Jabarin as they break down the different stages of audio production and chat with other producers about their techniques to achieving the best sound. You can find the Headroom Podcast on Acaville Radio Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Remember, Acaville is the place where you can find all the latest in acapella information. And we're back on Tacapella. For those of you who are just now joining us, we've been talking with Matt Zager. And if you have not heard what we have spoken about earlier today, I cannot stress enough, you need to go back and listen to the rest of this episode. But for now, it is time for us to have a little bit of fun. So we're going to be switching gears here. We're going to get to know Matt a little bit better by asking him, as tradition goes on the show, some rapid fire questions. So Matt, are you ready? I hope so. (laughs) Brian, how about you? I am ready. Perfect. All right, Matt, what is the best acapella number you've seen or heard to date? Oh, gosh, probably Fork at SoJam. Their whole performance. Okay. I need to look that up. What year? Oh, gosh, not so rapid fire. It was the last time that they performed at SoJam, so like 2013, 14-ish, okay. maybe. I'm going to have to look that up. Thank you. All right. Yeah. Question two, what's in your fridge right now? <laughs> Truthfully, a lot of pre-made meals that my mother-in-law made because they were just here uh, because of their baby and they are wonderful and they made a whole bunch of meals for us so we don't have to cook. Okay, sorry. Follow-up question. What's your favorite meal, I guess, out of those? (laughs) Oh my gosh. I mean... If she's listening, all of them. <laughs> but so my my mother in law and my wife make this amazing chicken tortilla soup, which is to die oh, for. Nice. And also their chili is fantastic. Oh man, chili and chicken tortilla soup. Oh, now I'm hungry because yeah. I haven't had dinner Same. yet. Same. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cats or dogs? Dogs. Okay, fair enough. Simple you know, enough. Kyle is the one and only person on this show who has said cats. <laughs> yes, I know, and he is. Lo- I know he's looking to get a cat. We, I. I have a dog and a cat. So okay, fair, okay. Like That's what I hope. 5149. I hope to have both someday, but right now we have three cats because we do not have a yard and uh, yes. we just, like my husband and I work all day. So we, if we have a dog, we want it to be able to run around outside and not pee on the yes. carpet. Good yes. luck with that. Yes. All right. Question four. What is your favorite non-musical activity? Ooh, I'm a big golfer. Okay. Uh, so I love to golf. My wife works at a golf uh, country club. Oh, so nice. That works out. Yeah. That is awesome. And a skill I do not possess in any form. Oh, my husband loves golf and he wants me to love it too, but I don't. (laughs) He um, has an acquired taste. Yeah. All right. Back into it. Matt, what achievement are you most proud of? Oh, gosh. Are we talking about acapella or just in general? I mean, anything. Being a dad. I'm maybe because it's so, maybe because it's so like new, but. 
I will say, you know, people always say there's nothing better than being a parent and becoming a parent is so true. One of the best things is having your child just like look back at you oh. uh, and smile. So being, yeah. a, being a dad. Now I want children. Not that I didn't want children before because I definitely want children. It's just we don't have kids yet. All right. All right. Question six. What's the strangest situation you've ever found yourself in? Oh, gosh. Where to start? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I guess like weirdest. I don't know. So I used to work for a bank and we got robbed. And so that was really oh, weird Ooh. and interesting. Like it wasn't like it wasn't dangerous. It wasn't like a bad thing, but it, you know, being working at a bank and getting robbed is kind of weird. I will say that. Oh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I wouldn't expect somebody to, to describe that as weird. I would expect somebody to say it was scary. I but, guess, like, at the time, it was super, it, like, it was probably scary as, like, my adrenaline was going. Because right. I, when I saw the person walk in, I, like, ha- I just knew it was going to happen. But I guess looking back at it, because everybody was safe and nothing happened. Right. I can say, say it was weird. I feel like I have so many more questions. Okay, funny enough, you are the second person this week who I've talked to that has worked at a bank that has been robbed. Whoa. Oh my gosh, really? I know, super, super random. We had a new gal start at work this week and and she had that. She had a similar experience. Oh, boy. Oh, weird. Okay, question seven, and this one's a little weird, so I hope you're prepared. If you were to work at a circus, what job would you choose? (laughs) Weird indeed. This is an odd, this is a very odd question. Something I like an animal trainer. I I love animals. My wife and I like to watch Secrets of the Zoo on the Discovery Channel. I think or Animal Oh, I need Planet, to find that. Okay. We love animals, and I think if I like picked a different career, it would actually be in like veterinary medicine or okay. like something something with animals you know i appreciate that because i also love animals so are you saying you'd be the lion tamer is that what i'm picking up here yeah let's go with that okay i'll put my head in the lion's open mouth right (laughs) i'm kidding oh the tiger (laughs) the new jokes oh wow okay oh wow here we go i'm kidding i'm kidding that's a rabbit hole we won't go into that yeah all right question eight what's the worst piece of advice you you have ever been given these questions are awesome I had, I don't know if this is like, I didn't get this advice like directly out of their mouth, but just by the way they acted around me, they gave me advice like non-verbally, I guess. Back when I was in college, we would, you know, as an education major, you'd go out and you'd like do either observation or like student teaching. And one of my observation teachers basically was like, you should not be a teacher. And I mean... It kind of hurt at the time because I was like, I'm like in school to become a teacher. And then like my senior year, my, my student teaching went fantastic. Like it was, it was great. Ironically enough, I don't teach music at all. <laughs> I mean, outside, outside of the acapella world, um, I work in fundraising for a, okay. a local community college here in Rochester. But so, I mean, like that was the worst advice because I was like, that just, it hurts. I think that's like the best answer to that question that I could come up with right now. That's a good answer. And that is a horrible piece of it. Yeah. yeah. So the answer was good, but the experience sounds like it wasn't. Not great. Yeah. I've been lucky. I think I've gotten a lot of really good advice. That's good. Throughout my life. That's good. really good. What was the last album or song you purchased that you can remember? Ooh. I'll add that caveat in there. Okay. So I, I've been lucky to be a part of different compilation albums. So as like as a judge. 
And one of the one of the CDs that I got to listen to as a judge was the new Vassar Devils Ooh. album. And just so like impressed by it, I actually bought it nice. because it's just nice. that good. I've heard you know, a lot ask, about that. We ask that yeah. question, and people don't typically know the answer right away, and you did. So well done. Yeah, well, it just happened recently, and again, okay. like I don't, I normally stream like everything, probably like ninety nine percent of the people. Right, right. So it was, it was the Master Devil, the new, their newest album. Okay. And before that, it was Impact, nice. their most recent album. I bought that too. Awesome. All right, two albums to check out. All right. Final question. What is your most memorable acapella experience, either as a performer, clinician, a member of the production team, any any of those? Sure. I mean, I don't want to take up too much time, but I think production-wise, recording-wise, just the trips that we got to take when we were first starting out. It was me and two other of the guys, Nick, Nick Hunter, and Nikki Hamilton. We would travel around and, and record groups on site. And more so just the memories of doing that as a team. As a clinician, the Lens event where we got to see, it was at a Lens event at George Washington University and the Troubadours performed their version of The Chain. That was what like made me tear up. And uh, full disclosure, like I had masterclass this group before they performed it at the end of the day. And so like I knew it was coming and they were just so locked in. It's like, that is like my gold standard for like performing live now. So that as a clinician was like my most memorable. And then as a performer, we got to perform and go on tour with the group cutoff down in North Carolina and in DC. And that was just like one of the best experiences. We performed four times over five days throughout the DC and Virginia, uh, North Carolina areas. And it was just, it was awesome to kind of feel like you're a, like a real musician. <laughs> well, you were. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for those answers. Uh, great round of rapid fire questions. We always like to close our show with asking our guests if they could offer some advice to our listeners, something that they can walk away with remembering from our time here. So we pose that question to you. If you could offer our listeners some form of advice, what would you say? I think for me, it's going to be like a two part answer you know to the acapella community i think we still need to strive to be better ambassadors for each other i think we need to continue to support what everybody's doing in our field and there is a level of competition i understand that but at the end of the day we're all here just to make music and and really just have a good time i think the mission of the studio really is is because we all had such wonderful experiences in acapella we want to make sure that we have the ability to pass that down to other people so building people up allowing people to have opportunities to grow and to learn but at the end of the day really just learn to love the the craft and be a part of this community so i think that's that's my one piece of advice right now to the acapella community is just to continue to become a stronger community And then, you know, to the world, we're in some really weird times right now. And the more that we can do to build each other up and support each other, I mean, really, these messages are are the same, maybe maybe in different ways, but uh, it's just so important that we all come together instead of giving into all of these negative things that are surrounding us on a daily basis, try to find a way to support each other and love each other and just try to make this world a better place you know we're hopefully not you know heading towards more bad things but 
as, as we just kind of continue through this fall, I think it's really important for us just to, to remain civil, human, and we will all hopefully get through this together. Amazing. That was some great advice. Thank you, Matt, for that. If our listeners wanted to learn more about you, learn more about Cutoff Studios, where could they go to find information? They can go to cutoffstudios.com. We are on Instagram at cut underscore off underscore studios. We're also on Facebook. And then if you want to check out me personally, I'm on Instagram at Matt underscore Cutoff Studios. And then obviously you can friend me on Facebook. I love to meet new people. There is an internal joke in the studio and they're going to kill me for bringing this up. But a lot of the people that have joined our team, I have quote unquote slid into their DMs at one point. (laughs) And I will just say, just to clear the air, it's always worked out in our favor. I've been able to meet and again, work with some fantastic people. But yes, I, I tend to reach out to people randomly just to connect with them. So feel free to do that to me. Perfect. Alicia, if our listeners wanted to find out more information about you, where could they go? You can find me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Alicia Edwards 19. That's E-L-I-C-I-A Edwards 19. You can also find me on Instagram. My Instagram name is e.squared1989. How about you, Brian? You can always find me on Twitter at the Brian Alex Brian with an I and then please be sure to follow all the various pages on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for College Acapella. And on that note, that's going to wrap up today's show. We want to thank Matt Zager so much for joining us. It's been such a fun and exciting conversation. Thank you, Matt, so much. Thank you, guys. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. We also want to make sure that you please go give Tacapella a follow on Twitter, Tacapella, two P's, two L's. And then if you want to hear previous episodes, uh, learn more about the show, feel free to go to tacapella.org. And of course, be sure to follow Acaville Radio. They are the platform for which this show is able to stream through. So we uh, want to make sure that you all show them some love. That's going to wrap up today's show. For everything else, stay tuned.